Welcome to Monsters and Mixers, the spine-chilling podcast guaranteed to quench your thirst for all things spooky and one thing drinky. Can't get enough of paranormal or true crime stories? Then this is the place for you. We are your hosts, Amy and Emma, and each episode will feature a new story and a new cocktail recipe to help calm your nerves while you listen. So grab your ingredients, pull the covers up tight, and prepare to be terrified by tales of the darkness among us. Welcome back to Monsters and Mixers podcast. We are your host. I am Amy. Definitely Emma, because last time I checked, I am Amy. I am Emma. Oh my gosh, my brain is yeah. mashed potato. I think I'm just so used to you always starting. starting so, yeah, is always first. So, anyway, oh, might as well just leave that in. Yeah. My goodness. So, welcome back. Welcome back. Uh, sorry, this one's taken a little longer. We've had, I especially have had a very busy past like week and a half, two weeks, just a lot of things back to back. Yeah. And it's yesterday was Fat Tuesday. So, yeah. The end of carnival season to wrap up and lots of things going on it's been a good last week and a half yeah i i had like a week where i literally had like two concerts like a birthday party and then last weekend i had to go drive to pick my brother up so it's just been like no time for us to just sit down and do it but we're back we're back and it's actually not freezing cold or ice storming today it was 80 which is yeah i was actually it was actually kind of hot like i was driving with my window down and it was getting a little toasty but i'm not gonna complain right now i was gonna say i'll take it it's march what first second second march second and 80 degrees tomorrow's not gonna be 80 but that's okay it's also not gonna be 16 so no i'll take it things are looking up in the world you said that you wanted to talk about something in the brian laundry case I did. I read an article the other day from a retired, I believe she was an FBI analyst. And she said that something has bothered her about the case since she read the autopsy results. And that was that Brian Laundrie shot himself with his left hand. The gunshot wound was on the left side of his head, which wouldn't be really anything strange except where he's right-handed. And she said that either means a few things. It could have been that he was holding something in his right hand, um, maybe like some memento or who knows, or it was an assisted suicide. So it's, I mean, something to think about. Yeah. Kind of. I thought it was strange because shooting yourself with your non-dominant hand. Well, does he just because the gunshot wounds on the left side, does that automatically mean that's the hand he used to shoot himself with? Reach around to the right side of your head right now and imagine or to, yeah, and imagine trying to. It's a very awkward. It'd be odd. But yeah, very it's awkward. Not realm of possibility. We'll never know. We I won't. Mean, there's not enough like DNA or forensic stuff from that scene to even begin to know if someone else was involved. Yeah, I'm assuming that they took the gun that they found and yeah, they tested the it. Mm-hmm. And if there were other fingerprints on it, we would know. Yep, that would imply that the person if that's the case, didn't wear gloves or wipe the gun or off even like, or yeah, had a different gun. Yeah. I mean, there's lots of things that could have happened, but we don't, like Emma said, we don't know. 
but I thought it was worth mentioning. Mm -hmm. I found it interesting. Yeah. I have not oh, heard yeah. anything about that. Sorry, there's a bug that just flew towards me. It terrified me. I have not heard anything about that case in, feels like a while. So. Yeah, I think it's all kind of just gone away, which is probably for the best for her family. So yeah. they're not forced to hear about it every single day and every facet of the news. And relive their trauma over and over. Yeah. Definitely. Um, But this case that I am talking about today, I am going to talk about Gabby a little bit at the end of it, just because there are similarities in young women and then the difference in how media covers stories, especially when one is like a young white woman versus a young black woman. Yeah. And how the media and police and everyone responds to everything. This is a BYOB episode, so drink what you want. I'm currently drinking water. <laughs> Me too. I felt the need to hydrate today. Yeah. Um, we did have somebody tell Emma that she has been trying to frantically gather her ingredients at the beginning of our other episodes. So always you could pause, but we do post our ingredients for our drinks ahead of time on our Facebook and our Twitter. So if you are making the drinks and following along and want to do like the whole experience, we have those there for you. Yeah. So, so you don't have to just wait until the moment of, and then pray that you have everything in your house. And we are going to kind of take some of her advice, which was she actually kind of enjoyed when we just had the wine episodes and things where it was a little easier. I mean, that's easier for us too. I, I like both, but yeah. I do like when we just kind of drink whatever and go with the flow. Yep. For sure. Cause we're lazy. <laughs> Less preparation. Don't have to go to Walmart. All right. So I'm just going to get right into it. Well, did you want to talk about Ukraine at all? Without getting political. I mean, I feel like we have to just at least mention that what is happening over there is horrible. And I, I'm so scared and sad for the people of Ukraine, and I hope that this ends soon and they get their country back and there are no more casualties or deaths because it's really mm -hmm. horrible and so sad to watch every day. It's nonstop news, which I know is the way our world works right now anyway. We live in a 24-hour news cycle, but, I mean, the TV's on right now and I'm looking and it's, there's so many people that have had to flee the country or are trapped, stuck there, being forced to fight. It's horrible. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No one wins in war. So no. let's hope that this is just the beginning and the end of it. Yeah. It doesn't go too much farther. All right. So just get right into it. Uh, today, I'm going to be talking about a case that is incredibly recent. It is not a case of familicide, which was going to be the theme of my season. Uh, the theme of my portion of the show this season. But... Uh, it is ongoing at the moment, and I believe it's a good idea for us to try to get as much information out there as possible about it, because honestly, I have not heard, it's not on the news, I haven't seen it on the news, and it, it's not getting attention. No. And it needs to. And the person I'm going to be talking about today is Lauren Smith-Fields. Like I said, there's been very little coverage on this case. Um, I haven't seen anything in the news, at least our local news or national news, and it hasn't been all over Twitter. Um, I've seen some posts, mainly from people who are in, like, her community that have gone viral on Twitter, but it's not, she's not a trending topic on Twitter. Um, I actually found out that this case even existed through TikTok, that, uh, TikToks that I've seen on my For You page over the past month or so, and honestly, if those didn't pop up, I probably would have never heard of it or gone in to look into anything that was going on. Um, the information out there is sparse, or sparse. sparse, so this episode isn't going to be a long one because it's incredibly difficult to find more details regarding Lauren's death. There are just 
news articles and interviews with her parents and family, and there's not a lot going on right now. Um, as I said, there hasn't been much coverage for Lauren, but the case really took off after Cardi B sent out a tweet about how fishy the whole situation seemed to be. Um, for those of you who don't know, Cardi B is a very well-known uh, woman in the rap industry with over 22 million followers on Twitter, so you can just imagine the reach that she has online. Lauren's family has actually said that they believe Cardi B is the reason the police received enough pressure to launch an investigation into this case, because unfortunately at first they did not do so, which is horrible that they had to wait until that many people were pissed off at them before they actually started to care. Yeah, I don't understand the whole <clears throat> lack of wanting to, I thought detectives wanted to solve things. Like, in that way you go into being a detective because you have like a innate desire to solve You'd think crimes so. and things. I mean, that's why I would do it. Yeah, but unfortunately, I think a lot of people are lackadaisical and just don't care, especially if it's certain people that are the victim of certain crimes. Right, and I mean, the fact that we just talked about such a prolific missing persons case. And now we're talking about somebody else who is the juxtaposition of that. Mm -hmm. And the reasons why are always just ignorant and stupid. Yeah. So we're going to get into <laughs> the basic details here. Lauren Smith Fields was born on January 23rd, 1998. So she is only six months older than me. Um, in Bridgeport, Connecticut to her parents, Chantel Fields and Everett Smith. Growing up, she had three brothers, Kyle, Tavar, and Lakeem. Her father says that she was always a daddy's girl, and he is quoted saying, My daughter had a life. She traveled the world. She went to college and did tutorials on how to do hair and nails. She had a voice, and that voice was stripped, and the Bridgeport police station ain't doing shit about it. Everyone who knew her says that from a young age, Lauren had big plans for her future. After graduating from Stamford High School, Lauren went to Norwalk Community College, where she began her studies on the path to becoming a physical therapist. Lauren was a huge fitness buff and loved physical activity and sports, which started when she ran track in high school and continued after she graduated as she maintained a very solid and regular workout routine. She was a huge nutritionist and was very proud that she ate a plant-based diet. It is said that Lauren was very driven, focused, and goal-oriented and was known to put up post-it notes in her bathroom with all of her current goals on them to keep herself motivated until she attained them. At the time of her death, her main focus was on finishing college and becoming a physical therapist. Lauren and her family seemed to be, seemed to be very close, especially her relationship with her mother. Um, you and I can relate, especially once you reach a certain age. The mother-daughter dynamic very quickly turns into one that is much more that of best friends. Sometimes you even think you are me. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> her and her mom would go on monthly dates to get their nails done together. And Chantel said that Lauren loved to get long acrylic nails with cute little intricate designs on them, just another one of her quirks. She took great care of her physical appearance and loved to do all things beauty-related. She sounds really sweet. It is also worth noting that at the time of her death, Lauren was very active on Instagram and had amassed over 12,000 followers, making her a sort of local internet celebrity in her area. She posted a ton of pictures documenting her travels as she went all around the world to beautiful places like Puerto Rico, Hawaii, Jamaica, and the Dominican Republic. She was also somewhat active on YouTube, where she made a few vlog-style videos showing herself dyeing her hair, installing long and silky wigs, doing story times, and doing different makeup looks. Lauren was an absolutely beautiful girl, and she had built herself a nice little internet presence. From the looks of her life online, I feel like she and I would have gotten along very well. 
She just seems like an awesome person to be around and someone who loved to have fun. Her brother Tavar remembers Lauren as being the kind of person that could just always make you laugh and always make you smile. She lit up every room she walked into. She had an amazing energy about her, and her brother says that she could always make someone feel better if they were upset or feeling a bit down. Lakeem says that she was the best sister that he could have ever asked for, and he loved her immensely. Lauren kept herself super busy with school, the gym, and her travels, but she ensured that she made time for the people in her life that she loved and her family. This is a quote from an interview that her mother did. My daughter was funny. When she walked into a room, she lit up the whole room. She loved doing makeup. She loved, loved hanging out with her friends. She loved family. She was very family-oriented and was just always, always there for me. Like going out and having mother and daughter dates, getting her nails done, and also just spending time together. She would cook for me because I worked so late at night. Sometimes she'd come over and just be like, Mom, let me just grab your laundry and wash it for you. She Aww. was that type of person. That's so sad. She's gone. Can't imagine the huge hole that that left in her family. Yeah, and she's the only daughter of four. So, right. On the afternoon of December 13th, 2021, just a few months ago, Chantel was having a hard time getting into contact with Lauren. It's been reported her family was trying to have some sort of Christmas dinner at Lauren's apartment, and it was coming up. So her mom was trying to talk to her to solidify their plans and discuss what they were planning to do. When she contacted her, she didn't hear back from her, which Chantel said was very unusual for Lauren. So she sent her a text that said, are you okay? Please let me know. I mean, we know, like, you know, the people that respond all right. the time. In the time frame. That yes. Takes. And, and especially like, people. if you're going to call me, if I miss it, I'm going to call you back. Or right. if you text me. There are specific people that you are always going to respond to in a timely manner, especially like people like my age. We always have our phones on right. us. Or I'm good. I can't talk now. Right. I'm fine. Like taking a nap, whatever. Like, yeah, I'll call you back in a little bit, but to just not say anything. If mm -hmm. I were texting you or either of your siblings for longer than 20 or 30 minutes and I didn't hear a little something back right. I would start to panic especially if it was like a time that you know that I should be awake by now right. like all kinds of stuff so you just get used to it and when it's off you can tell that it's off there was no response from Lauren to those messages and her mom became incredibly worried Lauren wasn't the type of person who ignored texts especially from her mom around 9 p.m that evening her family decided to just go over to Lauren's apartment and check on her as they had a persistent feeling that something was not right when Chantel and Lakeem her brother showed up there was a note on Lauren's door that said, if you're looking for Lauren, call this number. When Chantel called that number, Lauren's landlord picked up and said that they would be right down to talk to them in person. And when they arrived, they told him some news that was incredibly shocking. News that should absolutely never come from someone's landlord. No. The landlord told them that Lauren had died. And not just that, but that Lauren had died the morning before, December 12th. She was pronounced dead at 6.49 a.m. on December 12th, 2021. 36 hours before her family showed up to her front door. So 36 hours. Somebody had time to call and let them know what had happened and just decided not to. Yeah. Chantel said that when they told her this information, she just froze. She didn't know how to process anything that was going on, which is absolutely understandable. Um, imagine finding out that your daughter had been dead for almost two days and you haven't been contacted once in regards to anything that's been going on. She couldn't believe that this was the way she was finding out that her daughter was no longer alive. 
Also, I mean, that poor be... fucking landlord. Right. He's got to be the one to that do has it. to be the one to relay that information because the people who were called to the scene didn't think that that was something that they should do. Well, isn't there a protocol yes. of contacting next of kin? I mean, even yes. I would even think the landlord probably have an emergency contact on file. You think? Yeah. Definitely. Ugh, I'm so mad. There wasn't even caution tape around Lauren's apartment or on her door. Um, there was absolutely nothing to even signify that someone had just died there, which made it even harder for her family to believe that this had really happened. Lauren's landlord gave them the contact info of Detective Kevin Cronin from the Bridgeport Police Department in hopes that he'd be able to provide her family with more answers. Sadly, that was not the case, and the phone call did not give them a single answer whatsoever and only made them angrier and more confused. The detective told them that Lauren had been on a Bumble date the night of December 11th with a 37-year-old white male and that he had woken up to find Lauren unresponsive and that he had called the police. Not only that, but the detective went on to tell them to, quote, not worry about this guy because he was a really nice guy. <laughs> really, really nice guy. If your child is found dead in their apartment, I think the last thing you give a shit about is whether or not the last person they were with is a nice guy. You're going to worry about that person until you have a legitimate reason not to. And you're going to want them to be fully investigated. Right. In the first 36 hours, how could you even rule anybody out as right. a suspect? You haven't had time to do any kind of police work, let alone good police no. work. And they did none. No police work. They asked the detective if he could meet them at Lauren's, depart Lauren's apartment so they could ask more questions and figure out where to go from there. And he agreed. 30 minutes went by, then 45, then an hour, and he never showed up. They called him back to ask where he was after an hour and a half. And Chantel said that he picked up the phone, said, stop calling me, and hung up. Unfortunately, hell? this would not be the last time that this detective would hang up on her family. Detective Cronin never showed up. The family was left with no answers, completely in the dark. So they called over and over again for 16 days, Jesus. trying to get in touch with literally anyone that could help them. It wasn't until December 29th, when they went back to Lauren's apartment to get some of her belongings, that they were informed that Detective Cronin was removed from the case after, quote, messing up. And a new detective came by to say that he had taken over the case. At this point, it had been two weeks since Lauren died, and there was absolutely no sign at all that the police were planning to collect evidence or process the scene as a crime scene, so her family began to investigate themselves. Inside the apartment, her family found a used condom, a loose pill, and blood on her bed. The incident report also stated that there was a plate of food upside down on the living room floor. They decided to call crime scene investigators themselves and had to literally beg them to come process the scene, which they eventually did that day on December 29th. When they arrived, they informed them that they would need DNA swabs from Lauren's family to move forward and that they would not be moving forward with the investigation without them. Chantel describes the situation as very unnerving. They want to take our DNA, but they don't want that person's DNA from the night of or anything. I find that absolutely rude. They said to us, if we do not give them our DNA, they would not move forward with the investigation. So they're essentially saying they're suspects. They're treating them like it. This was incredibly frustrating to them. They were willing to comply, of course, but they felt as if they were being treated as suspects when the one man who was with her the night she died was not being considered a suspect because he was a, quote, nice guy. And here's the thing. I... I can understand needing the DNA to rule them out because they were in the apartment, but they should never have been allowed in the apartment until it was properly processed. And also, so, I'm sorry, why the fuck is it two weeks later and there her family is the one that discovers a loose condom or a used condom, a pill, 
and blood on the bed and not a single one of those things has been taken into evidence by the police that showed up to the crime scene. Right. They didn't do anything. Is nothing. That how they took the nothing. detective quote messed up by not doing a damn thing. Like you have this man who we're going to find out later claims that him and Lauren had no, I'm not, and I'm not saying that this man killed her, but his story is that they did not have any sexual intercourse and that he didn't even take his clothes off. And it is very possible that that condom is not his and, and it's someone something. else's. But wouldn't you want to make 100% positive that one, the story that he's telling them is true and that they didn't have sex and this wasn't like something weird going wrong here. Right. And two, wouldn't you just want to process that to begin with to make sure that there's not like an outside force involved? If I was him, I would want them to take that in myself. So if my story is 100% true, it would check out. It yeah. would be, everyone would be like, okay, he's telling the truth about that. Yeah. He didn't have sex with her, but they didn't do that. I'm really hoping there's going to be a point in time when you tell me they start doing these things because if not, I'm going to throw my phone. <laughs> okay. So from this point forward, they begin to piece together what actually happened on the day of Lauren's death. Um, keep in mind that almost all of this information is coming from the Bumble date himself. Lauren is not here to tell you what happened. This is coming from him. Um, and for those of you who don't know, Bumble is one of those dating apps where if you match with someone, the woman has to be the one who starts and initiates the conversation. If she doesn't do so after 24 hours, the match disappears and you can no longer talk to that person. So if she sent the first message, I think it's safe to assume that Lauren was at least a bit interested in this person. Mm -hmm. The man is not even labeled a person of interest at this point in time, so I will not be using his real name because I don't want to get us sued. Um, I'm not going to put his name out there, but... I will just say this right here. If you want to know what it is, it's not hard to find. Simple Google search. Nope. <clears throat> the two of them set up their first date for the night of Saturday, December 11th, 2021. According to her date, Lauren and him had been talking on Bumble for about three days prior to their date, and she invited him over to her place to finally meet up. He said that the first few hours of the night were spent playing games, eating, and drinking tequila, and they eventually started to watch a movie. He claims that during the movie, Lauren stepped out of the apartment to say hello to her brother, who had stopped by to drop something off. Um, at this point in time, we don't know what exactly he was dropping off, but after he did, her date claims Lauren went into the bathroom for about 10 to 15 minutes. After she was done in the bathroom, Lauren came back and finished the movie with him on the couch, and he said that he didn't ask her why she was in the bathroom that long. He said Lauren fell asleep on the couch, and after the movie, he decided to carry her to bed where he also went to bed with her. Um, like I said, he claims that they did not have sex that night and that he never even took his clothes off. He claims that he slept in them. He said that he woke up at three in the morning to use the bathroom. And when he did, he claims he heard Lauren snoring in bed and assumed that everything was okay. And just a few hours later at 6.30 a.m., he woke up to see Lauren on her side with blood coming out of her nose. He said it was coming out of her right nostril and he could tell that she wasn't breathing. He says that he immediately freaked out and called 911 and that he was met by Officer Carla Ramelli. Carla said that when she arrived, Lauren was on her back on the floor with no sign of life and confirmed that there was blood coming from her right nostril. She said that he was trembling and visibly shaken as well. Um, it is confirmed by the incident report that uh, he was asked by 911 to give Lauren chest compressions, which could indicate why she was moved from the bed to the floor. The 911 call is currently not public record. I don't know if it will ever be. Um, probably yeah. not. You know how that goes. Yeah. <clears throat> he also stated in the incident report that Lauren had asked him for $40 that week to get her nails done. 
However, her mom claims that this is not true because Lauren never asked anyone for money, and this cannot be confirmed either way at this time. Um, what does that have to do with anything? Right. I. So they had been talking for three days. Yeah. What is he like? I mean, he. He is thirty-seven. She is twenty-three. Is he, he like sugar daddy? Like. I don't want to assume things. But I, I also find it weird that that was something that was, like, mentioned. Unless he's trying to imply that, like, he gave her the money and she used it for something else. Maybe. I mean, that, I guess that could be the road he's trying to go down. Yeah. So. Naturally, the man became a number one suspect in the eyes of Lauren's family. Um, if we had a loved one die suddenly, and we had little to no details, yet knew that when they died, they were in the presence of a complete stranger who was the last known person to see them alive, we would feel the same way. Right. From the start, the Bridgeport PD have not even considered that this man could have done something to, could have something to do with Lauren's death and have discounted that as a, a possibility completely. One of her brothers is quoted in an interview saying, anyone who genuinely cared and was the last person there and knew that nothing bad happened would at least try to reach out to the family themselves. Yeah. Like, listen, I'm sorry for the loss of your daughter or your sister. It did, makes... When the brother showed up, did... Did he say if she mentioned she was on a date or that anybody was in there? Or we haven't like heard that? anything about that whatsoever. And I don't even know what brother it was. Yeah. I was just curious. I don't know why um, that popped into my head. but Yeah. Because she has three brothers. I mean, it could be any of them. Mm -hmm. I don't know which one it was. I don't think they talked too long. Right. But, I mean, her being in the bathroom for so, as long as he claimed she was is a little odd. Unless maybe the 15 minutes gave her a stomach ache or who knows. I mean, Maybe. I don't think I would disclose what I was doing in the bathroom if I was on a first date either. I'd be like, no, I wouldn't either. And I, I don't fault him for not asking her why no. she was in the bathroom so long. I wouldn't ask. But it's also like, what would she... I don't know. What? You'd almost think that if someone's like, okay, my brother's here. I'm going to go. Like, he's dropping something off for me. You'd think that he'd see her come in with what was being dropped off. Right. I think the implication here, they're trying to imply that she got drugs or something yes. and went in the bathroom to do them. They are. Yeah. That's exactly what they're trying to do. So we're going to take a quick little break here before we get into the rest of it. And I'm really wishing I would have drank something other than water. <sighs> All right. Be back in a sec. We are back. Back and better than ever. Back. <laughs> back in business. All right. So we left off by saying that um, her family, of course, view the, this man as the number one suspect. And I agree that it is very odd that he has not even, like, reached out and said, I am so sorry that this happened. Right. Like, I cannot believe this happened. I'm sure he's being advised by his lawyer to not contact anybody. I mean, we've seen that happen with we were talking about earlier, mm -hmm. Mr. Brian Laundrie. Mm -hmm. I'm sure that is uh, the case, but I cannot imagine going on a first date with somebody and having that first happen. time you've ever met them. They die in your presence. First of all, that is absolutely traumatizing. Oh, it'd be horrible. Especially in the event that as he's claiming he had nothing, nothing to do with it and did not know what was going on. And then to not even be like, I mean, this 23 year old woman, I'm so sorry to her parents that this is how you found out. That they didn't go above and beyond to tell you that this mm -hmm. is what happened. Like, it's 
it's beyond me. Yeah, regardless of if he's innocent or not, the things that happened should never have happened. No. And that's the part, like, the point of this is not to point, blame, blame him, it him. It's to point out the flaws in the system with our investigations and things and how mm -hmm. it's so completely unequal and ridiculous yeah. when it's a person of color as opposed to uh, a, a white, white person. Yeah. I mean, look at the, we we're still months later talking about small details and things that pop up about the Gabby Petito case. And yet this is fresh and no one is talking about it. Like, yeah. like hers. Right. And there's a lot of parallels when you look at her case. I mean, there were both influencers on social media, both had followings. Both loved to travel. Both, both yeah. were, I mean, the same age. I think Abby was maybe 22. Yeah. So to have one case blow up and become so fixated upon and the other just be brushed under a rug is so evident of what is wrong mm -hmm. with her. It's like a glaring disparity that cannot be unacknowledged. No. Um, it makes absolutely no sense that the police have treated the fact that Lauren was on this date as irrelevant to this case. This is, like I said, regardless of if this man has anything to do with it, that is completely relevant to the case. Mm -hmm. um, not only is she on a date, she's on a date with someone she had never met before. Right. Someone who was in her home, the place where she died. That should be the first thing that you look at. And if you rule that out, you rule it out. But that needs to be looked at at some point. Absolutely. That should be the first thing that you do. And I don't understand how you, as a police officer, show up to this scene of a dead 23-year-old in her bed with a random man and are immediately like, what the fuck happened to him? Like, how did this happen? How are you not mad? It's like a father as right. a human being. How are you not, like, concerned? Um, I cannot wrap my mind around why they wouldn't look into it as a possible catalyst for her untimely death. She is young. She is 23. She is healthy. healthy. She is going to the gym seven days a week. She is eating plant-based. She takes care of her body and she just randomly croaks in the middle of the night. Right. Like, that is something that needs to be considered. Aside from him telling the police his version of events that night, the police have just let him go about his life as normal. When asked why they were not treating him as a suspect or, or person of interest in this case, they once again reiterated that it was because he's a, quote, really nice man. I wonder if he had family or something. Oh, there. Oh, okay. We don't know at this point if he's the one responsible for Lauren's death, and I'm not casting blame, but you'd think the police would at least treat him as a person of interest considering he's the last person to see her alive in her apartment, and she died in his presence. The Smithfields family has hired an attorney, thank the Lord, named Darnell Crossland because it's become increasingly clear that the police are not following the law when it comes to handling Lauren's case. Regardless of whether or not foul play was involved, the police should have notified her family when they found her body. Members of the family claimed that they were told by police that the reason they didn't call her family was because they had already identified Lauren. They didn't need their help because they already saw her passport. What the hell does that have to do with notifying next of kin? Identified or not is not a typical protocol to, is it not typical protocol to inform next of kin when someone passes away? Yeah. You found her in her apartment. All of her belongings are there. You know who she is. You can easily find her family. I I just assume that's how things, that's in that what you read on every news yes. article. Victim's identity will not be released until next of kin are notified. Are notified. 
she wasn't a Jane Doe. They knew who she was and they could have easily alerted her parents. They had her information and all of her belongings, including her cell phone. They also mentioned that they picked up $1,345 in cash and they never even collected evidence, but they have her phone, cash, these things. <laughs> Why would they take her money and her phone? But <laughs> no idea. Not the used condom or anything. Right. And the fact that they do have her phone makes me curious if they will ever release like the conversation that led up to these two people meeting. Yeah. Like what was the plan for things? Was there like an arrangement, you know? As we all know, the way media and police handle the deaths or missing persons cases of people of color, especially black women, is noticeably different than how they treat white women. The police automatically assumed that this was an accidental death and did not follow any of the procedures that they were supposed to, which is as a as an American citizen is yeah. terrifying. The police are not supposed to make assumptions as to why someone has died and rule them as fact without evidence, solid evidence in an investigation. And it's horrifying that they're allowed and able to do so when they feel like it. The fact that someone can just walk into your house when you're found dead and claim, oh, accidental death. Yeah. Without even, like, making sure that that is the reason you died is horrifying. There is absolutely a possibility that foul play was involved. And we don't know if it was or not because they didn't try to rule it out. You'd think that they would want to make sure that we know that that's not something and then get the heat off of their backs mm -hmm. and just move on with their lives. I don't know why. It was like consistently shooting themselves in the foot. Yeah, it, it does not make any sense. It makes absolutely no sense. So, as I said, Lauren's family found blood, a used condom with semen in it, and a loose pill in her home. They also said that they found lube, like a random thing of lube on the counter. Um, why not DNA test the condom to make sure that the man is telling the truth when he claims they didn't sleep together that night? His statement can easily be proven or disproven with a simple DNA test. But the police just decided to believe everything he said. Did they ever say, or you might say this later, but what the pill was? Uh, no. Because, I mean, how do they know that he didn't roofie her? Right. Or exactly. something, put something in the, the tequila she was yeah, anything. Or, yeah. Yeah. Their attorney contacted the state's forensic lab to ensure that those items were processed. This is infuriating. But the woman he spoke with said that the Bridgeport police never made any submissions of evidence up until that point. So they so didn't put anything in. They have the crime scene investigators come in, take the items from the crime scene, and a month later, they're still not in the lab. So they're not, are they just in an evidence locker somewhere? Her attorney said that there is one forensics lab in Connecticut. They can't be anywhere else in a specific area of Connecticut. It is huge. They have every, they have like the means to store things. He said they have freezers and coolers. If they need to keep things cold, it's not like the evidence is going to go bad. They didn't even submit it to the lab for forensic testing. That's so strange. It is absurd. So, the officer of the chief medical examiner, office of the chief medical examiner, has released information on how she died, and I believe this came out on January twenty fourth. So Recently. that's a month later. Yeah. They said that Lauren Smith Fields died of quote acute intoxication due to the combined effects of fentanyl. Promethazine, hydroxine, hydroxazine, and alcohol. According to the medical examiner's office, and her death is being ruled an accident. Her death was ruled an accident, but because fentanyl was pre uh, present, the Bridgeport Police Department opened a criminal investigation in the narcotics department with the help of the DEA. Bridgeport's mayor, Joe Gannon, Gannon 
announced that internal affairs will also be investigating the police department's interactions with her family. Thank God. He also ordered that two police officers be placed on administrative leave. However, their lawyer, Crosland, told the a local news station that the toxicology report makes Smithfield's death look even more like a murder mm -hmm. and says that the family is still waiting for the results of an independent autopsy. He said, I've never seen a medical examiner conclude a mix of drugs was an accident without knowing who provided the drugs or how it was ingested. Right. Especially having somebody who is such a fitness buff to have that many different combined narcotics. Yeah, and her family them. said that that is so out of I mean, we hear this a lot out of character. I would never expect that to happen. But when mm -hmm. you have someone who was literally on track to becoming a physical trainer, she doesn't even eat meat or dairy. Right. She eats nothing but plants. She rarely drinks. It's like a once in every couple week type thing. And then she's found with five different drugs. And hard yeah. drugs mm -hmm. in her system. That's not like a red flag. It doesn't go wee woo, wee woo. Like what? I would have, I would I would think that it would. However, you would think. I'm guessing more logical people in this case don't think a whole lot. <laughs> I'm gonna say that you're probably right. So the man's lawyer has said that he is not being considered a suspect, as we all know, and that he's been cooperative with the police every step of the way. That being said, the Smithfields family, like I said, feel very strange about this because he has never even reached out to their family with any sort of condolences. Like I said, if you were on a first date with someone and they died while you were there, wouldn't you feel absolutely horrible and want to reach out to their family? The Smithsfields family plans on filing a $30 million lawsuit against the city of Bridgeport soon for negligence, which they As should. They, should yes. they believe the police department was racially insensitive, did not take Lauren's death seriously, and failed to properly investigate her case. The notice details a number of concerning missteps in the investigation, including the fact that obvious evidence was not gathered by police and that officers have been reluctant to formally interview the man or name him as a person of interest. Crossland also alleged that Kevin Cronin, the detective first assigned to this case, has some connection with the man and is currently under investigation by the city's internal affairs department. Oh, imagine that. In interviews, Crossland also stressed that deaths and disappearances of those of white women are taken much more seriously than those of black women. He said, when a white woman goes missing, the world drops everything. We are done with his valuation. Bridgeport Mayor Joe Gannon says that the city's Office of Internal Affairs will conduct a, quote, full and fair investigation into the handling of her death. He said sensitivity and care is of utmost importance when working with the family of a victim. There is no tolerance for anything less than respect and sensitivity for family members and their loss. He also announced that he will work with the chief of police to make changes to the police department's policies and practices when it comes to notifying them family members of a death. He said, I support and add my voice to the family, the family community and elective officials who are calling for state legislation on this issue. I can't believe there's not already state legislation on the issue. I mean, yeah, I mean, especially in Connecticut, there are protocols set into place of what to do when a death happens. Mm -hmm. And I'm pretty sure it's like right away that you're supposed to notify the family. What about just common decency? Why right. It's just a human being. It's like so evil. And it's like evil to the core. Did, so they said he has a relationship. But he didn't. They didn't specify they what that specified. was. It should be pretty easy to find out. And also, like I just want to say, I want to say again, I'm not saying that he has a relationship with the police, but their lawyer has alluded to the fact that he might. And I feel like that is worth mentioning. If he is coming out and saying that he believes that there are some weird stuff, some shady dealings going on mm -hmm. behind the scenes with him and um, 
the police department, then I feel like it is worth noticing, uh, mentioning. I don't know if that's true. Yeah. But I would not be shocked, especially with how reluctant they have been to do anything with him. I mean, you'd think that they'd see him as just another person, you right. know, just a normal person who they would treat as anyone else and do the interview process as they would with anybody else. But the fact that they're not makes me think that there might be a little something going on there. Yeah. All right. I'm trying to Google the connection to the suspect and the cops. And I mean, I, I am able to pull it up, but I don't know. Um, I'll, to, I'll post an update on our website if we figure it out. Yeah. So I was wanting to talk about why we believe that this case and so many others like it did not and do not get as much attention as Gabby Petito. And there is an actual term for this, and I'm sure some of you have probably heard it. And it is called missing white woman syndrome, mm -hmm. which is something that has been used for a long time. And I'm just going to read directly from the Wikipedia page detailing what it is. So missing white woman syndrome is a term used by social scientists and media commentators to refer to the media coverage, especially in television, of missing person cases involving young, white, upper middle class women or girls compared to the alleged relative lack of attention towards women, missing women who are not white, women of lower social classes, and missing men or boys. Although the term was coined in the context of missing person cases, it is sometimes used of coverage of other violent crimes. The phenomenon has been highlighted in the United States, Canada, the UK, South Africa, Australia, New Zealand, and other predominantly white countries. So, uh, news anchor Gwen Eiffel, Eiffel is widely considered the originator of the phrase. Um, they define the syndrome as white women occupying a privileged role as violent crime victims in news media reporting. And positive, posited that missing white women's woman syndrome functions as a type of racial hierarchy in the cultural image of the United States, which is very true. Yeah, it is. Um, they say that the phenomenon has led to a number of tough-on-crime measures, mainly on the political right, that were named for white women who disappeared and were subsequently found harmed. In addition to race and class, factors such as supposed attractiveness, body size, and youthfulness has been identified as unfair criteria in the determination of newsworthiness and coverage of missing women. News coverage of missing black women was more likely to focus on the victim's problems, such as abusive boyfriends or a troubled past, while coverage of white women often tend to focus on their roles as mothers and daughters. Well, and we've seen in several of the stories that we've covered, like the Sam Little um, thing, like it took so long to catch him because his victims were black prostitutes mm -hmm. and no one, no one gave a shit and no one went out and looked and, yeah. and even started investigating for a very long time. And because of that, so many people died. Mm -hmm. And what was that one, um, stretch when we did the active serial killers we talked about that stretch of highway where all the indigenous oh, yeah. women were dying mm -hmm. and no one was doing shit about it because women go missing there all the time and they're looked upon as less than mm -hmm. so no one investigates that and i mean it's a common recurring theme when you look at serial killers and their victim profiles as to how quickly people investigate and try to do something about it. And also the second that media or police get a hold of the fact that the victim may have done drugs or had weird behavior or, you know, wasn't like an upstanding upper-class citizen, 
they immediately use that as a reason and justification for why they were either kidnapped or missing or were murdered and don't really give a shit about anything else. Right. But if it's like someone else who is white, young, youthful, pretty, if something like that were to come out about them, it'd be like, oh, well, she was going through this and this Mm -hmm. and this, or this could have been the reason or blah, 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 blah. It's like, I don't understand how we are still in... We're in 2022 and this shit is, like, still so evident and clear. Right. And maybe it's only clear to people like us because some people don't give a shit. Clearly Bridgeport PD doesn't give a shit. Right. And I feel like, too, that's why so many women of color are, they are sought out to become victims of crime because the people know that they're probably going to get away with it Mm -hmm. and that it's not going to be taken that seriously. And the chances of getting off scot-free are exponentially raised whenever you yeah imagine if ted bundy's like target wasn't 17 to 25 year old white women like affluent white women imagine the way that that would have been covered i think we'd still be talking about him today probably not probably wouldn't even know how insane he was probably not yeah because Because they don't care well and i'm not to keep going back to the sam little thing but he killed so many more people Mm -hmm. and it's i just heard of him when I looked him up for the podcast. Yeah. I mean, why... He's not, like, talked about in the discussion of, like, prolific serial killers in America. Right. I mean... And Even though he literally is, like... The, the most, most prolific. Yeah. The most the prolific. Of the um, and we look at things like um, Ted Bundy. How many movies are there now? Stop making the movies. Like, We've said this ten. Before. I yeah. swear a new one comes out every year. It, it just... And we get people like Zac Efron and all of these, like Ross Lynch, like playing him. Right. Or I guess Ross Lynch was Dahmer. But Dahmer. we get like these like attractive young male celebrities playing these people. It's just well, women throwing themselves at mm-hmm. sickos in prison because they're good looking white men too. Is a, that's another phenomenon that I cannot wrap my head around. Yeah. I don't get it, but it makes me really mad. And I'm so very sorry that that is the way the world is. Yeah, I'm not sure when we're supposed to expect the independent autopsy results to come back. Usually when there is an independent autopsy done, the results are different than mm-hmm. what is done in a state-led autopsy. Um, so we'll see. Can the attorney for her, I wonder if he can subpoena a DNA test. I wonder if they could, um, because he's not currently listed as a suspect or a person of interest. I wonder though if during their preparation for the civil lawsuit if they can ask for those kinds of things. I don't know. Maybe, maybe this is just ignorance on my part, but say they, because I believe that now that the condom and stuff like that are getting tested in a lab. So say that they DNA test the condom. Do they not also have to have the person's DNA who it would match to Mm -hmm. match it? Mm -hmm. So if they don't even have this guy's DNA, then how, what good would that do? It would only, the only Thing, and I think it's called CODIS, which is the, where they keep all of the data, the database for people who have committed crimes. Yeah. I believe that's what it's like called. Like your thumbprints and stuff like your fingerprints. DNA. Yeah. Um, so that or... will only be beneficial for them if He's someone been has been before. arrested and had a DNA right. test done at that point in time. And I almost wonder if like, if they went to him, and I don't think they're going to ask him anytime soon, but now that like the investigation is actually being taken seriously a month, three months later. Mm-hmm. I wonder if they went to him and asked him if he would be willing to provide a DNA sample if he would be willing to do so. Right. Because if he claims, like, he 
it's like he says, he has nothing to do with it, then I would think that I would, that'd be the first thing I would want to do. Yeah, for sure. I am interested to see how this ends up yeah. shaping up and hopefully... Yeah, and shout out Cardi B Yeah, for taking a stance and getting this out there to more people. Um, I feel like celebrities need to start using their status more for things like this and for to help like the people whose stories do not get told. There are so many out there that we have never heard of. There's a Twitter um, feed that I see all the time where they post the lesser known missing persons cases mm -hmm. of a lot of um, people of color. Yeah. So, there are so many. There are definitely strides being made, but it's small. And there's a long, long road to go. Yeah, for sure. So I just want to give my condolences to the um, family of Lauren. I cannot imagine not only losing her under such weird and sudden circumstances a week before Christmas, but then to have to deal with this shit show that right. followed. You should never be your the family of a victim. You are victims yourselves to whatever happened. And you should be treated as such with respect and you should not be hung up on and you should not be cast aside, ignored for sixteen days. And treated like suspects when the guy never said you were there. I no. mean it didn't make any kind of sense. Right. The disrespect that that family had to endure is disgusting. Yeah. And thank God they have a lawyer who is advocating for them. Mm -hmm. Because otherwise I feel like they'd probably just get swept to the side and left behind. Yeah. Those of you who have um, social media accounts should definitely maybe start. Putting some pressure. Putting some, yeah. Tweeting. That's where it starts. Making people actually be held accountable for their actions. Mm -hmm. I mean, we've definitely seen, even with Back to Gabby Petito, the internet's response is the reason, part of the reason why the reaction from the police and everyone was so strong. Because when you have five million people talking about it and asking you questions, you're going to be inclined to react. Yeah. And so that should be done for everyone. And I'm sure the police that pulled him over in the desert thought Brian Laundrie was a, quote, nice guy too. Yeah, a really nice guy. Mm -hmm. But that did not... That did not prove to be true. <laughs> did not. No. Not saying that he's Brian Laundry, but a no. little weird or stuff that going he on. did anything wrong. We don't know. It's very possible they did nothing wrong. My anger right now lies solely, I think, on the police and their mishandling of things, and they definitely did something wrong. Yes. And I guarantee her family will win that lawsuit. Oh yeah. There's absolutely no getting out of that because it's documented and everything. So Sorry. I feel like mine are always so somber and sad. They are really, they are really heavy, but I'm trying to decide what I'm going to do for my next one. I think I, think I have an idea. But I'm gonna keep it a surprise. Cool. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks for listening. Oh, my God. Uh -oh. oh, my God. Sorry. I don't know. Emma's going down, guys. <laughs> thanks for listening to the Monsters and Mixers podcast. Please follow us on our socials on Facebook at Monsters and Mixers Pod. On Twitter at Monsters Mixers and on Instagram at Monsters and Mixers Podcast. Like and follow us on your preferred listening platform. Leave a five-star rating and send us a stories via email at monstersandmixers2 at gmail.com or at one of the socials mentioned. Yeah, and please leave a review if you want to type up a couple words on um, iTunes. We always tell you this helps us get noticed by more people. ITunes. So I, I did say iTunes. Oh, <laughs> back. Apple. Well, actually, I do listen to podcasts on iTunes on my uh, computer at work. I can't believe iTunes still runs on right. your computer. It does. I don't know. Um, so, if you could leave reviews and stars on 
Apple, it really helps. Or Spotify. Us. Spotify lets you do that now. Yeah. Spotify lets you leave leave some love. All right, so see you next time when we dive into another terrifying tale and concoct a new delicious drink to wash down the horror. Now get out there and meet some ghosts and make some toasts.